Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I have the pleasure to interview Tony and Melanie Singh from Ottawa, Canada. They've taken their small church that was struggling and, and challenged and made it grow. And I'm so thrilled that uh, they're going to be able to share some of the tools that they've used, some of the mindset that they've had to work with God and help their church grow in a challenging mission field. Tony and Melanie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Just glad to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This is actually our first time together, and I've heard so many things about you, but we've always been on opposite sides of the country. You've primarily been on the East Coast. I was West Coast in Asia, and so I'm really happy to be able to spend this time, so thank you for this. Let me just start off by asking you this question. How did you guys become Christians? Um, so I became a Christian uh, 31 years ago. And my older brother and sister-in-law actually became disciples um, and introduced me to the church that way. So it was through a family connection that I uh, first came. What church was ICOC. that? What's that? What church was that? The Toronto Church of Christ. Okay. Oh, so right there in Canada. There you go. So you, are you guys Correct. both Canadian? Yes. yes. Okay. Terrific. And how about you, Tony? So I became a disciple when I was a campus student, a freshman at the University of Toronto. And my best friend in high school, little did I realize that God was forming a partnership that, uh, that would result in him saving my soul by using his mouth and his heart. <laughs> and uh, my friend Clovis Grant. And so in uh, 1986, November 2nd, um, at 9.18 p.m., <laughs> I got baptized into Christ and uh, just been an absolute ride of enormous yeah. joy and learning experiences. I love it. That's great. That's the same year I was baptized, so I already feel closer to you immediately. Right there. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Now, I know some people from Canada. Are you familiar with... Ron and Cheryl Hammer, Mark and Connie Very Mancini. Well. <laughs> I, actually, I actually was involved in this Bible studies with Ron. Oh, my God. You say the Bible with Ron Hammer? Yeah, I actually was in his wedding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. yeah. Cheryl, Cheryl was, was uh, the female min campus minister when I was in the campus ministry. Oh, I know Ron and Cheryl. <laughs> Very well. Really well. <laughs> family actually yes yeah. yes yeah we were good friends with them and 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 really love them a lot so that that's awesome so well how did you guys meet you guys were i guess converted in the same church how did you run into each other well i was in the campus ministry and melanie was a single mom and uh, uh and so the chances of us um getting involved with each other at that time in my mind there's no way. The way I grew up uh, culturally, I never expected to marry a single mom. Mm -hmm. Like it was not even the thought line uh, uh, of my mindset. And yet, when God opened eyes to this unbelievable woman, uh, <laughs> the rest has been uh, absolutely sensational. Twenty-eight years now, being married, and um, so we met while we were working while I was working in the ministry there in um, Toronto. And we, our first date, 
um, was a year and a half before we actually ended up dating. So we went on a date and then he was in the ministry. I wasn't. Um, a year later, I went into the full-time ministry. Uh, and so when we were both in the full-time ministry, we got to know each other a little better and uh, then started dating. I'm embarrassed to say that the first date that we went on in, exactly. our, in our congregation, if there was a fifth Saturday in the month, the sisters asked the brothers out. Yes. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the premise for her asking me out was someone that she was intimidated by. I have no idea what she was talking about. And so it was not love. It was intimidation. That was the genesis of our conversation. Anyways, we actually went curling. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. Wow. Great Canadian sport. <laughs> yes, uh, anyways. That, that, that was the genesis of our relationship. I've yet to figure out that 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 sport, exactly how that works with the guy brushing and, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, believe it or not, I'm sure there is a skill set that is that is not natural. You, it has to be acquired and learned for sure. <laughs> now, tell me, what the, tell me about your family backgrounds. Sing, what, what's, what's your ethnic background, Tony? So, so my, um, my background is Indian. I'm 100% Indian, meaning okay. my, my family uh, moved from India to South America, to Guyana, which is the only English-speaking South American country. A lot of wow. people don't know that. Did not know Guyana, that. formerly British Guyana. And, and then um, my parents realized uh, Guyana vied with Haiti to being the most um, depressing economically uh, country in the world. Uh, it, it, it was all the way at the bottom. It's not things you want to vie for. Um, and, uh, and my parents, my dad quit school when he was about seven, eight years old to work in the rice field. And, and, and I'm the youngest of seven children. And he said, and he vowed, I will not let my children go through what I went through. Wow. And so, so he emigrated to, to Canada. And I, um, that, so that's my background. I'm hundred percent Indian. Wow. So my official name is Ganeshwar Singh. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and when we got married, that's who I married, Ganeshwar Singh. <laughs> well, how did you pick up the name Tony? So here's the interesting thing. In Guyana, you have your heritage name, and then you have a calling name. Tony Curtis was a popular actor when I was born, and my mom named me Tony. But it's not my official name. It is just part of my calling name. But in any official uh, capacity and occasion, I'm called by my official name. Being met at school and everybody knowing me at school, um, I was known as Ganesh and Ganeshwar. And, um, and, then, uh, and so at home, I was always Tony. And then there were some circumstances where, where um, in 1995 that uh, uh, we were saying, um, hey, Tony, are you going to move to, well, Ganeshwar, are you going to move to India? And, you know, the people who were overseeing our congregation said, he is as Indian as you are. <laughs> and that was a Caucasian uh, um, American. And, and then we said, can we call you by another name? I said, yeah, I'm called by Tony. Look. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have been allowing us to call you Ganeshwar. My tongue was twisting all over. You could actually be called Tony. And so, so after that uh, was 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 how I was called Tony. So wow. And it was at a time, you know, I don't know if you remember this time when um, nationals were going back to lead right. congregations right. in India at that time was really looking for. Um, geographic sector leaders and so they're like why is an Indian man leading the work in Canada like that makes no sense right. <laughs> so, right. so it was like well <laughs> yeah and and how about you Melanie what's your background um so I was born in South Africa um my whole family my I have two brothers and uh, my parents uh and my uh ethnic background is uh Scottish Swedish and Zulu Wow. which is African. <laughs> um, and we emigrated uh, in 1978. And a lot of it was obviously apartheid. Uh, my parents grew up in apartheid and didn't want that for us, you know, wanted to give us an opportunity for freedom. And um, yeah, so they immigrated to Canada and we've lived here ever since. You know, we have often not joked, but, you know, uh, uh, made some fun, so to speak, of the fact in our home, I have three children and I, we have someone from Guyana, some from South Africa, someone from the U.S. Our daughter was born in the U.S. and two boys that were born in Canada. So we have, we have United, <laughs> United Nations in oh our home. Gosh. And when you look at our kids, when our kids went to school um, and people couldn't look at them, figure out where are you from? Right. What background are you? Uh, anyways, it was, uh, it was kind of cool. We loved it. Wow. Fit right in with the church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could imagine that Toronto is pretty international city and yeah. ethnically diverse. So probably was not an issue. No, no, it was the most uh, uh, Toronto is the most ethnically cosmopolitan city in the world. Wow. Um, more than half the people in Toronto were born outside of Canada. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's, it's phenomenal. As a matter of fact, Rob, it is an anomaly now to see a couple of the same race yeah. being together when it used to be 20, 30 years ago, the exact opposite. But right. now it's, it's, it's truly, truly a mosaic of that's beautiful, at least mm -hmm. on many, many levels. Wow. It's, it's a beautiful thing. That's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. So you guys got married. And then can you give me a quick summary of where you've been? I know you've been a bunch of different places. Give me a quick summary of your ministry career places you guys have, have been to? So we got married in May uh, 1992. Six months later, we're asked to go to train in Los Angeles to come back and lead the church in Toronto. Okay. So we went to, left December 26, 1992, six mm -hmm. months after we got married, basically. Drove to Los Angeles. Wow, that's a And uh, with my, Melanie, myself, and our my new boy, um, Justin, I, when I, I got married to two people at the same time, I was, it's always funny, um, my wife and my son, and uh, we drove to Los Angeles, trained there for a year, and came back um, December 8th, 1993, to, um, to serve in the ministry there in Toronto and to spearhead the work, uh, and so we spent the year in, in Los Angeles. Wow. Okay. Then uh, we basically, so from 1994 to 2001 in August, we, we were overseeing the work in Toronto and just a really unbelievable time. 
uh, God planted six churches uh, over the next six years in Halifax, Calgary, Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, Ed Edmonton, Hamilton, and mm -hmm. Ottawa. And there were already churches in Vancouver and Montreal. And so it's really, really, really great to see. And then we were asked to serve in the ministry in Chicago um, in August of 2001. And of course, we all remember September 11. Uh, so three weeks later, the world literally changed. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we spent the next, uh, eight years in Chicago. Then we moved to Boston, uh, for the next seven years. And then we moved to San Antonio. We were out of the ministry in, from, in Boston for the last few years, couple of years. Then we moved to uh, San Antonio, uh, to be with, uh, obviously the congregation, but with be with a couple of dear friends of ours, Dave and Beth Pachta, and um, spent two years there thinking that we were going to um, spend about five to seven, maybe eight years in, in San Antonio and come back to Canada because it's where our families are. And um, almost two years to the day, God had different plans and uh, we moved to Ottawa. And the first things that people said to us when we moved to Ottawa, where are you coming from? San Antonio. What are you doing here? <laughs> uh, just a little bit of difference in the temperature. Yeah. Just a smidge. Just, just to give you an idea, there, there was the, the Delta in, in, in temperature change was 156 degrees. Oh um, uh, one day was 117. I remember, I'm, I'm sure it was warmer than that in San Antonio someday, but that I remember in my mind. And then there were um, a, another time where it was minus 39 degrees in Ottawa. And so, <laughs> crazy. and I lived in Chicago, Boston, and Toronto. It's chilly. It ain't, uh, it ain't, it ain't Ottawa chilly. And uh, so anyways, so that, that's where we served for many uh, so in those years. Okay, so what brought you back to Ottawa, or not brought you back, but what brought you to Ottawa? Why did you... You were not in the ministry in San Antonio. You were working. What, what, what type of work were you doing at the time? So, so we, we mulled over going back into the ministry mm -hmm. when we were in San Antonio. And, um, and there was a situation where someone says, Tony Manley, you guys need to apply for the job, which is a weird thing for me to hear anyways. Right. Um, exactly. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and we put our names in, so to speak, and uh, it never materialized. Um, it was humbling, embarrassing, uh, wondering what is going on. And so literally, I had a, a funeral um, and uh, an experience where I dedicated myself to God. And I said, God, okay, uh, I had a death and a divorce, a death of a dream, a divorce from a ministry. And I went and spent a day at the beach and I said, okay, for the next seven years, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, put myself into a secular job and, and really give myself. And I said, God, you know, we want to be able to always serve you, whatever capacity that means. And we, and I thought, well, I'm going to go make some money. Um, because, you know, being in the ministry is not necessarily the, the, the most lucrative job that you have, right? right? And so for the first time in my, our lives, we thought God has answered our prayers. Melanie and I were making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And we thought this is hey, this is awesome. Right. It's just we're we're near our best friends. The temperature is awesome. Uh, <laughs> we are we, we're doing we're enjoying our job. It's being successful. Literally, Rob. The next day after I came back from that, I got a text from my brother uh, Marty Udall says, "Tony, you need to apply for the job in Ottawa." I said, "Marty, ain't gonna happen. There's 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 just no way that is even possible." Hmm. But simply because you asked me and you're my friend. And I know you very well. I am going to, I'm going to um, say yes. And what was your response? <laughs> I I literally was like, there is no way I'm going to Ottawa. <laughs> um, you know, we were in different places in the sense that I was content with where I was at and loved my job and. Um, even that that opportunity for the ministry, we literally applied because it was like people have asked us, but it wasn't necessarily a passion or a dream. And so when we got this um, call, I was like, okay, the only reason I'm open to it is I don't believe in coincidences. And I don't believe that you surrendered your heart to God and said, this dream is over. And then the day before you get this text. So I said, at the very least, God's probably not saying that we're going to go to Ottawa, but he's definitely saying something. And I want to hear what God has to say. So, <laughs> and, and providentially, I was studying um, Nehemiah at the time. And I said, God, if this is going to be possible, you know my needs. I'm not in my 20s. This is not adventure season for Tony and Melanie. Right, exactly. And Yeah, and... and um, yeah. And if if you're going to do that, you're going to have to survive the law, the timber, the horses, mm -hmm. the, the 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 thing to make this a reality. And I said, I hope I'm not being faithless. Because and it's so funny, uh, Rob, when I've heard the call of many people in the scriptures, I see people responding indifferently. Be it Gideon, hey, give me a fleece. Right. Uh, Abraham, I'm just going to go, uh, uh, not knowing where I'm going. Ezekiel overwhelmed by the Kibar River. I mean, it, 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 there was this response after I happened to be reading Nehemiah that time. And when, when he went to the king and, 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 and the king says, okay, in order for you to do what needs to be done, here's what I'm going to supply you with. And I said, God, we, we are in no way, shape or form ready to do this. And, and in our words, there were some things that we wanted to be clear that this was not a decision that I wanted to make. And th this was the most important thing for me that we were independently going to feel good about this decision, that I was not going to follow Melanie's dream and Melanie was not going to follow Tony's dream, that we were going to have the sings feel great. If God is going to speak to me, he's also going to speak mm -hmm. to her. And that was a very important component yeah. to at least our decision-making process in okay. moving to Ottawa. Okay. So let me, let's, let's go back. So you had this experience where you had this quote unquote, like divorce and yeah. death to the ministry and when, when did that take place? Was that the day before you got the job offer? The day before I was asked. The, okay. Literally the day before. It was a Sunday. Okay. And the Monday morning, because um, there were three job offers I had from a secular vantage point. I said, which one am I going to take to God? Right. And I, I went. So this day was a day of prayer, mm -hmm. dedication, fasting, uh, burials. Yes. So okay. And the next day I got this. I'm sitting with a friend, and I received this text from Marty. I said, Marty... You're a day late. <laughs> and and what, what year was that? When did that happen? 2018. Oh, just recently. And how long had, oh, you, yeah. how long had you guys been out of the ministry at that time? Four years. 
You've been out for four years. Okay. It's interesting you mention this because I, I sold houses for eight years when I planted a church in my hometown. And when I got a call to go back into the ministry, that was one of the toughest calls I ever got. In fact, I didn't return the phone call because I just left a message. I didn't return it for about a week because I was like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. This is so such a monumental issue that I can't even handle this. And so I finally did call them back and I said, no, I just said, no, I don't, I'm no, I don't want to do it. And just like you, I was just starting to make some money. We'd gone through the um, great recession and, and just was like, okay, starting to get back on our feet. And probably one of the most, probably it was the most difficult decision I've made um, in my life since becoming a Christian, just because it was so, challenging to think, okay, if I stay doing what I'm doing, I'm going to make a ton of money. I'm going to get out of debt. I could see that I could see the bright future financially. My kids were just coming into college, really, really challenging. So I can imagine for you, that must've been tough in middle age to go, okay, we're going back into the ministry. You already know the limitations, you know, the drama associated with the ministry. What helped you to make that decision? Like how, how did you go, okay, this is God's calling for us again. So one, one of the supply, one of the things is God, you're going to have to supply the, the timber. Mm-hmm. We had no idea. And this is going to probably go into some of the other questions, but I'll cover it. We had no idea. Neither did the church here know how big the church was. They hadn't had a full-time minister for a year and a half. And, um, and, and so, and so they had some money in the bank. And, but not a lot. And on a whim, the guy says, if we can garner, if we can garner uh, enough funding for you guys to come to, to Ottawa for three years, at least, then that's part of the answer. Of course, like I mentioned before, the most major part was Melly and I will feel called by God uh, to do this. And, you know, my wife, absolutely sensational you know i felt in uh, and sometimes i don't want her to feel she's chasing tony's dream or, mm-hmm. or 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 this is what he wants to do this is what he was made for do, to do and and that was an important dynamic uh the oneness in our marriage took another level at least in my view mm-hmm. the way that i viewed it and and that was just very very crucial another thing was that unsolicited that there were other leaders in the Canadian work who wanted us to come Mm. without soliciting all of that actually is requesting us to come. Mm. There were a lot of things like, Rob, perhaps one of the biggest things too, there are a lot of times when I did things is because I felt in retrospect, I infused myself. I wanted to let the power of God work. And I Mm. hearken back to when I was appointed an evangelist in January 1992. I remember in the fall of 1991, I really wanted to become an evangelist. Somehow this there's this carrot in front of me mm-hmm. and I'm gonna chase it. Right. And I realized, you know what? I'm selfishly ambitious. I'm putting myself forward. There was a lot of self-promotion, but you know, and I said, God, I'm gonna surrender to you. Hey, I'm gonna serve you in whatever capacity. This will never happen. Literally the next day, without telling anybody this. The evangelist of the church called me and says, you're going to be appointed an evangelist in two weeks. I had never been so humbled. I have never shed as many tears that at that time as to this is insanity. I never asked to lead the Chicago church. 
I never even wanted to. I was asked to. There are some other times I infuse myself and I realize perhaps part of the, the, the MO for Tony Singh and Melanie Singh is not an infusion of yourself, but rather let the spirit of God work. And so it was clear that these were some of the things that we had put out there without talking to people about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so they got, gathered five churches to say some of what two of which was U.S. churches and three Canadian churches to say we're going to supply a certain amount of money to the Ottawa church for three years to be able to help pay your salary. Wow. And I think, you know, it's interesting because Tony and I were and it was really providential that he said one of the fleeces was we're not going to convince each other because I think for me, I, I had to heal some from are coming out of the ministry and Mm -hmm. and uh, and i think you know i had been going to this class that actually one of the big churches in san antonio they they have quite a few big churches (laughs) 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 but one of them was offering this class about um spiritual growth and i was attending it because one of my coworkers had said hey i think you'd like this and it was really amazing. It was a very well done class, it really helped me to explore some of, you know, the things that I'd been struggling with. And so I feel like God knowing the future knew that this decision was going to be put before us mm-hmm. um, because we literally des- made the decision independently the day I graduated from the class. And so the, you know, the fleece started out as, yeah, God, I'm only open because I just can't say no to you, but I really actually don't think this is from you, <laughs> but I've got, I'm a Christian, so I got to right. at least open myself up to prayer here, and, and we sat down and we said, you know, even for this to be a consideration, given where we are in our lives, this must, these are the bare minimums that have to be and on paper, it made no sense. Mm-hmm. We're not the cheapest couple right. because of our age. Um, it made no sense. And we're like, they, they're a small church. They cannot afford us. And we're not going to uproot our lives right. for one person to work for not very much money. And right. then you, and by the way, I was in a phenomenal situation. Like my job was, I worked for USAA. I don't know if you know them. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal company. That, that's my insurance Loved company. It. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just would not have made sense to, to, you know, it wasn't about the monetary amount of money. It would, it was about the stage in life we were. And so, you know, God not only blew the door off those things, just was like, I'm going to take care of that. But I think for me, it was, he changed my heart and he healed me, I think in a way that was very important for me if I was going to venture back into the ministry. So. Okay. You know, it's so funny. Let, I remember let, distinctly when Melanie said to me, and the day she said, initially in this journey, God had to make it clear that we need to go to Ottawa. Mm. The day she finished that class, she said to me, God's going to have to stop us going to Ottawa. Mm. And there was a distinct difference of heart change that obviously we're going, God's going to have to stop this now as, to, as opposed to making a way for it to happen. Okay. And um, so let me, let me just, let me just ask you a couple of questions here. Cause this is, 
there, there are people listening that have been in the ministry before and are very gifted and have stepped out of the ministry for one reason or the other. Either they were fired or they left or they left under bad circumstances. Or, But there's a desire and a talent level that they feel like, hey, I can still be used by God. And, um, you know, I, I, I heard from somebody that there are a lot of wide open positions for ministry right now in the kingdom. I mean, there's, there's a big need for qualified ministers. What advice would you give to a person like yourself who's in middle age? Um, I'm assuming you guys were in your 50s when you guys made this decision. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. We looked that old. <laughs> well, just just gauging from my my own age <laughs> and in any case what advice would you give to a person who's going man i've thought about it i've thought about doing what they've done but i'm scared let me just start I can share from my Please, yeah no, go it's ahead. a very good question i can share from my vantage point mm. there was a flip in my brain mm. and and my disposition when I asked myself this question, am I going to let the lessons that I have learned in my life just be shoved in a treasure chest not to be used again? Wow. And, and, and I said to myself, boy, my life could be really comfortable. <laughs> um, and Man, we led a family group in the in the San Antonio church that was phenomenal. In a year and a half, eight people became disciples. I said, this is the life. Yeah. This, is, this is awesome. Right. I mean, what better thing can you have than this? Right. Weather is great all the time. If you're too hot, just go on air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's but, cheap to live there. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> we go to the restaurant I'm moving from Boston. And it's like, no, the bill is together. Yes, that's that's the bill. Wow. <laughs> and it's like, my rent was literally less than half than it was in in Boston, and we were making twice the money. And wow. uh, it's just, it was just crazy. But it, I said I, I had to answer this question to myself, and then I asked my children, hmm. and I said, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And they said to mom and dad, you were born for this. Wow. And, um, and uh, I, we've seen you up close and how you've lived your life. And, um, and, and so there's a, you know, a confluence of, uh, of things that happened that, that brought about that, that disposition. And I, I, I want to leave this place a better place than, than I found it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I really believe for me, not for everyone necessarily, but for me to dedicate myself in a manner that is full-time um, was the way I could best do that. Not the right. only way, but I think I, I answer that question, what is best? That's great. And, and that's how I got there. What about you? Yeah, no, I think for me, it was, um, I think it was primarily the idea that I, I can never say no to God. Mm. What that will look like is up to God. Mm-hmm. And so if he reveals that, you know, it's not to go to Ottawa, but it's what I was doing is this great. But at the very least, even if it's 10% of my heart, I've got to keep that 10% open because I think the temptation when you're in such a situation is a guarded, it's a guardedness, right? You, you are, 
without realizing it, there's a lot of self-protection and self-preservation. Um, and to most people around you, it's wise because you, you spent most of your, you know, earning potential, you know, from the ages of early twenties into your fifties in the ministry. And right. so you don't have very many work years left. So there's wisdom in that, Right. but, um, there's a fine line, I think, between that wise living and humility and mm. faith and mm. Tony and I firmly believe that how we came into Ottawa has a lot to do with where Ottawa is in the sense that it, you know, it was the biggest faith move outside of conversion that we've ever made. Wow. That's amazing. It's, it's quite phenomenal. Okay. So let me ask you, how big was Ottawa when you got there, when you arrived, that was 2018. Yes. Yes. November 20, November 1, 2018 is when our official start date was. Okay. So it's just and been we two years. Yes. So, so we weren't sure. Uh, no one was sure. <laughs> the best, the, uh, the best guess was about 55 people. So you knew there were some disciples. You just didn't know. Yes. And, and, and the truth is Rob, how do you count disciples? Oh my gosh. If you came once a month, was right. it, were you one? Right. Was it once every two weeks? Yeah. Was it once every two months? Oh my uh, was, I mean, what was it? And, and, and I, I, I'm, it's just phenomenal. And so a, a good objective guest would be about 55 members in the Ottawa church. Okay. Hold on one second. Would yes. you guys mind if we just took a short break here and Please, then we'll yeah, come no right back in just, just three minutes or five minutes. That'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank Absolutely. you. Okay. So Tony and Melanie, what, you arrived there. What kind of growth have you? Did you see? You you got there. You figured out there's around fifty five people. You've been there for two years. What what kind of progress have you seen since you got there? And interestingly, we're about we're exactly doubled. It's one hundred and ten disciples right now. Oh my gosh! In two and, years. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, but but let me tell you the the cementing of this decision was done in the early parts because. I met someone that I had known from Toronto online uh, on Facebook, and I said, "Hey, let's have let's have um, let's have dinner together." Literally, because I haven't seen him. He had, he had uh, walked away from the church for a number of years. We got together the very first night. Literally, I hadn't seen him in 15 years. He said to me, "He says, Tony, how are you doing financially?" I said, "Me personally, or the church?" What do you think? He says, "The church." I said, well, we're going to run at a deficit of $30,000 this year. And, uh, but because we had some money in the bank, we are going to, um, you know, we're going to be able to survive and we are being supported. He says, okay, well, you're not going to run at a deficit. And he writes a check for $30,000, not being a member of the church wow. and gave it and says, we, we are going to be uh, at a place where this is the case. Um, a few months later, he got restored. And, and um, after a year, um, we told the congregations who were supporting us, thank you so much, but we don't need to be supported anymore. Um, as a matter of fact, the contribution went to the level where we were self-supporting within a year. And so we told those congregations that we don't, they said, no one's ever done that. You know, right, uh, right. say you, you're giving us free money and we don't want, <laughs> I said, just give it to somebody who, who needs it. I said, at this point in time, by the grace of God, that's the case. Hmm. So, 
so that started happening mainly uh, upon some advice from some people like the Mancinis, like the Tollivers. Hey, what would you do the first thing you get, you do when you get here? And I said, um, they said, I would meet with the disciples. And, and so we literally met, met with every, every disciple in the Ottawa church or people who at one time were people who, who could be. And we sat down and heard their story. We didn't want to hear about anybody else's story and how someone else had done them wrong. Right. I only want to know your story. Right. And, and we asked on a scale, um, what is your level of hope of where we're going to, where we're going to go? And mm. depending on the people, you can see that they were changing. Their hope was coming along and, and God just week after week, literally Rob, people will walk into our services from off the streets looking for a church and found us and get baptized four or five weeks later, people sending us notes online saying, I saw your service. Um, and, and I would like to be get baptized. I said, you might want to come in a little bit before and, <laughs> <laughs> and find out she studied the Bible. Then her, her and her husband got baptized. I mean, th there's stories like that. Um, I crazy. think in the first year of the first 20 baptisms, I think 15 of them just came off the streets, literally, wow. literally. And it's just, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. Okay. And so let's, let's talk about that because that could be discouraging for a church that's, you know, a lot of churches are 55 members, but that sounds so effortless. It, it can, it could discourage a person listening and go, wow, I wish that would happen in my church. I haven't had someone walk in and get baptized. Was there anything you were doing? Were you praying? Was there anything that was going on behind the scenes that would contribute toward that kind of a increase? I mean, just a, a dramatic spiritual increase. Uh, absolutely. Uh, prayer. And, 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 but our focus in the church was the number one thing. There was a lot of factions in the congregation. And we said, hey, let's look to God. Let's, let's, let's recalibrate why we're here and why we do the things that we do. And for the, I did a, a lesson on the attributes of God and then 10 epic battles in the scriptures mm. and culminating and uh, designed where the biggest battle of them all was the battle on the cross where sin and death was destroyed. Wow. And that happened to be on Easter. Uh, um, and so we coincided uh, that these lessons were, were overarching, talking about massive, how God is, how he uses people, mm. irrespective uh, of sometimes of their righteousness, but rather it's him. And the idea of God is at the forefront of this battle um, was pronounced in our congregation. And I think one big thing, you know, I'd said earlier that um, our journey to Ottawa had a lot to do with what happened in Ottawa. And, you know, as God turned our hearts, our faith, obviously, in, in the greatness of God was at an all-time high. And, you know, I remember Tony, he, he had always kept all of his sermons and series and everything and dated them to make sure if he preached somewhere, he didn't repeat them, you know, um, and he threw everything out. Wow. And he said, Let's... I'm not going to go into a situation with all these um, old notes and old series, you know, he's like, we've never been, you and I have never been in this situation. 
we're going to go in and be led by God. We're going to let God tell us what needs to be done. Because even as we came in, you know, different people had gotten with the church members here to try to resolve their conflict. Um, the church was literally split in two and number of leaders had come in. And so we realized it wasn't an issue of expertise or, you know, um, coming in and saying the right thing. I mean, people had lost hope and had lost faith and we had so much. We were just riding this high of faith in God and person after person that we got with, we're like, babe, people need to see the God that we are seeing. Mm. That's not even the God who is. That's just mm. the God who we are seeing. And we at least need to show people that God. And I felt like, so it wasn't just the sermons. It was, it was the passion behind the sermons and, and our solution to everything was, you know, but do you, do you know this God that we serve? And even in the, 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 10 epic battles, I think one of the things that I, I really saw that was different from past experience was the emphasis on, look at these different people in the Bible. Some had great stories. Some were not so fantastic. <laughs> it's not about you. Like, it's not about me. We're not the saviors here. It's about this God. He's the consistent one mm. in all these stories. And wow. I feel like a year of talking about God. It wasn't like a two-part series. Every series pointed back to God. And I feel like that a year of just consistently talking about this God in different ways. Okay. I think so, confused people with faith. Let me ask you about the, the church in Ottawa. When was it originally planted? How how long had it been there? And what can you give me a quick history of the church? I know that yeah. Ottawa is the capital we, we, of Canada. It is the capital it's, of Canada. It's, it's close it's, to Montreal. Uh, yeah, like, two hours away. Okay. Yes. Um, and the church was planted in 1995 and, uh, and was here uh, going through what it was going through, sometimes some high points, sometimes some low points. And... Um, and the, the person, the people that were serving here, great disciples, laid awesome. a great foundation. And, uh, but honestly, given the fracture in our fellowship, um, was running on empty. Hmm. And, and those situations were casualties, if you would, of faith. And not of their soul, but of their faith. And, um, and had to be repaired and is being repaired and they're doing great. But, but I see firsthand when we're not connected the way we can be to encourage one another. So yeah, 1995 and uh, the largest uh, the church had been was, uh, we understand 70 disciples. Wow. So now it's larger than it's ever been. That's fantastic. Ever. Congratulations. That must be so but exciting for, for you it, it and really for the is. church. It, it's, it's, it's quite remarkable. How, how does uh, the I, atmosphere compare now to, to when you walked in the door uh, two years ago, like what? What's the atmosphere? Uh, of course, you're in COVID. I don't. You're probably not meeting together, but Correct. what's the spirit Correct. like? Well, uh, one of the things about having being in the Canadian work for the longest time, we have friends and family from all over, and so literally, the first year, it would not be out of the realm of possibility to say thirty of those weeks we had people visiting the Ottawa Church 
for a number of reasons from right. Toronto, Montreal, San Antonio, uh, many other places. People who have come in and had friends and family here were saying, I can't believe this is the same church. Wow. It, it, like the biggest things that was faith building were adult children who were, whose parents were members of the church were now getting baptized and saying, we want to be spouses of people yeah. who said, I'm never going to be a part of that, have gotten baptized and are becoming part of the congregation. And so that's been the, that's been the incredible, incredible thing. So the spirit is one of, man, how can we, how can we, um, how can we be a part of this? It's just great yeah. to be a part of it. I remember two ladies from, from Red Deer, Alberta, came in. Uh, um, uh, booming metropolis. Booming, oh, you probably don't ever heard of Red Deer, Alberta. Okay, they were visiting the nation's capital and they Googled us. These people were 72, 73 and Googled us and found us, right? She comes into, they come in, we, we have a service. They literally planted a kiss on my face and I said, <laughs> I wish we had something like this in Red Deer, Alberta. Wow. Millie almost punched that. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but sweetest people uh, just, I mean, and that as a, as a member of this congregation, as someone who serves in here, to hear things like that is just absolutely so faith building. And, and honestly, all credit go to the disciples obviously to God, but to the disciples who were willing to be servants and instruments of God to yeah. say, we want to be used by God. And, and, and I say this, we get to see this mm. up front and it's been absolutely phenomenal, wow. absolutely phenomenal right. in, in our hearts uh, to see the, the, the stuff that's going on. So, okay. So let's, let's just break this down a little bit because I think there are a lot of churches and below a hundred that would love to break the 100 barrier. And we did a whole conference on that zero to hundred, how to get there, the lookup conference. If you were offering advice for a church leader that who's leading a church that's been stuck for a while on how to, to grow it or double it from where they're currently at, you've mentioned, first of all, first thing is meeting with everybody, getting to know everybody deeply then focusing on God, making your lessons about God. Of course, having a lot of faith yourself personally. Um, anything else you would you would say that you would offer? Because that's that's the challenge. I mean, there, there's a lot of sayings like it's easier to uh, have a baby than it is to raise the dead. And you know, there's what I mean by that is that. For many people, it's like it's easier to plant a new church than it is to go into an existing church and get it to grow again. And I would agree with that. I mean, to turn around a, a church that's stuck, that's monumental. So what advice could you give? What practicals could you give to people that would really like to see their ministry start growing again? You know, one of the things that I remember uh, has been like a mantra of, of, of me growing up in the kingdom was... Hey, you may not be all the problem, but you can be a large part of the solution wow. if you're in a position of influence and leadership. I believe that strongly. And, and what I mean by that, how, how does that show itself in the way I live my life, my faith, my joy level? And one of the things that was actually exhilarating for Melanie and I, we came back to grassroots ministry. We had led churches now that were 2,000, 2,500 disciples. Now we have... 
So we're bringing in the pulpit. We're bringing in the, 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 the coffee makers. We're setting up the chairs. And honestly, it was exhilarating. Yeah. It, it was like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is about people and serving people. And honestly, if we don't want to do that, we've got to examine ourselves. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, are, we, are we willing to do whatever it takes? And I remember uh, in a staff meeting one time as well, a person shared, uh, don't ever let being in a ministry interfere with your Christianity. Wow. And, um, and, and, and so I, it, it was, there was an identity crisis for me, hmm. like you were sharing. Uh, here I was, this, this person that was serving uh, uh, in a capacity that's much different than it ever was before. Right. And I asked my, had to ask myself this question, do I identify being an evangelist or identify being a servant of Christ? Mm. And to some, that might be not a big deal for me. That was a very, yeah. very big deal. And, 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 and I, I truly, I truly don't care about titles. I really don't. It doesn't been there, done that. Yep. Amen. Give somebody else a chance to see people's lives change in front of my very eyes, it's so exhilarating. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. And, uh, and it's so funny, bro. We started planning online services before online services was a thing. Oh. And, and we were live streaming before this happened. We stopped collecting contribution on Sunday mornings, four weeks into our work here. And, um, because we didn't want to be a stumbling block or create uh, any undue pressure on people. And people started doing online services, uh, online giving. Our contribution went up 150%. Wow. Uh, it's stunning. Great. It's, and it's interesting, Rob, because I, I think, you know, Tony and I coming in saying that we are fortunate in that we have this blank slate Mm-hmm. The church is, we get to do this however we want to do it, right? And so, you know, when we came in with this idea of pointing people to God, you know, we felt pressure from the congregation to have a program. So what are we going to do about this? And what are we going to do about this? And are we going to have, and we're just like, what do you, like, let's wait. We don't have to rush into the program. Let's let's us get ourselves right. And then Mm -hmm. we'll figure out which program is best for us, you know? And, and I think through that, one of the things that Tony, you know, as we started, started thinking about infrastructure, he was like, guys, I can tell you from my experience, what is effective and what will work and what, but he's like, why don't you tell me what dream you have? And let's see how we can make that work. Mm. And that was super effective for older Christians. He's like, you've been around a long time. What do you want to do? What do you want to do for God? And well, he's like, and how can I help you do that? You know, and, and, and there was a subtle but real difference. Honestly, that one of the biggest delta change for me was sitting in the pews and mm. being a quote unquote rank and file member and to say, this is what people feel. Mm. I thought I knew what people feel. I really had a good heart wanting to know what people felt. But to say, wow, am, am I useful in this ministry? Do my thoughts matter? Um, have I suddenly become deaf, blind, mute? And, and, and it's a very interesting thing. And so 
one of the dispositions that we have taken is say, what has God placed in your heart and how can I help you with what God has placed on your heart? You know, one of the things that you wanted to, to, to talk about is that for all the Christians is this idea. Um, in one of the congregations I was a part of, there were people who were about 45 to 60 that dreaded coming to church on Sunday, not because they thought the message was bad, but they said, what, a, what am I doing here? What use am I being here? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and to me, that was one of the things. It's not somebody fulfilling a dream that God has placed on my heart. I look back now, it sounds <laughs> nauseating to say things like that because it's so arrogant. Okay. And, but, but it's like, no, what has God placed in yeah. your heart? Okay, that's, that's as fantastic. As a 20-year-old disciple. So let me, let's, let's go back a little bit. That, that to me is very interesting because you had led the, the Chicago church, which is multiple thousands. It's a mega church. Then you're a region leader in Boston. You were overseeing the church in Toronto and the, the multiple churches. You'd seen all these churches go out. So you're working at a kind of a macro level. And then you're coming back to, to a very troubled, very tiny situation. I mean, didn't you struggle with your pride? I mean, all didn't you ever say to yourself, hey, don't you know who we are? <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, you know, we used to be the 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 kingpins around here, and now we're just, I mean, how did how did you deal with that? That must have been an adjustment. Well, one well, one of the things when we were being interviewed, and I find that and I say that a couple of times, so weird. Um, uh, but uh, it's it sort of like to me, the, the antithesis of what a Christian is, like, I want to tell you how great I am. Right. I mean, uh, that's, it seems so weird to me, but anyway, right. um, why I'm so qualified for this, it's, it's crazy. Um, one of the things, the caveats that, that some of the guys said, hey, Tony, can Tony work in a team? Hmm. Not only here in the Ottawa church, th- that was not the issue. It's with the other people around. And, and, and I had to answer that question. I believed I could have like, but sometimes what you believe in your mind is not what other people see and think and believe. Mm. And that had to be tested. And yes, it was, it was, it was very, very challenging. Mm. And, and I had to be secure in other areas of my life, meaning my, my marriage with my wife, my children, Mm. that my identity was not caught up in a title. Yeah. Um, and, and that's to me that that was important. I have, I've always loved my wife. I love her more than I ever have now. I will marry her a thousand times again. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and it's just that part of our life is just so it's, it's in the proper place. Yeah. My children got married. All three of them got married all within a year. Wow. So I was broke badly. <laughs> um, but, um, but, but, but uh, you know, one of my daughters, one of my children are not a disciple. Two boys are, our daughter isn't, not yet. Uh, but our relationship with them is in a fantastic place. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to me, so, so if we wrap our lives around, to me, our titles, yeah. it's the wrong base. Right. And, and, and at least for, for us. Right. And, and so, yes, um, I then started having different metrics to measure success. And the metrics that I used was people's lives being changed. Mm. Not how many, but the fact that people's lives were being changed. 
And, um, you know, the, the, the way I know that there were that many disciples in the, in the Ottawa church, uh, you know, I have to go and look it up. And, uh, and uh, to me, the, 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 the thing is changing or having your identity be, uh, identity be found in Christ and other aspect of your life is in a good place as well. And, um, you know, we feel so great that Melanie parents, actually, we live together and in the same place. Wow. And people said, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> My uh, mom is a disciple. My yes. dad is not yet. <laughs> so you've so, got a, a multi-generational it. household. It's, it's a great thing. What's that? So you've got a multi-generational household. Yes. yes. Okay. That's great. That's awesome. Okay. That, how, how about you, Melanie? How did you feel, um, you know, having such a different position, um, you know, just going from leading large churches to just leading a small, was there any sort of a difficulty for you or transition or was it not a, not really an issue? No, no, I, I don't think it was as big a difficulty for me as it, it was probably more in Tony's case because of the different roles that he had. I think my job as a woman's ministry leader, it, it's, the numbers, I pretty much do the same thing, right? <laughs> I, I'm supporting my husband in the women's ministry. And so, um, and honestly, I was never the person who loved the um, politics of the ministry. And, and by politics, I don't mean necessarily just the negative side of it. I mean, just the structural stuff, the right. meetings, the, right. I was never a fan of that. And so, um, I always loved glass, grassroots ministry. I'm a one-on-one -on -one person. So this is where this, I feel like I'm super effective. So this really fits you better. Okay, so let's go back to <clears throat> you're talking about really empowering middle-aged Christians because one of the hottest questions that I've been getting from small church leaders is how do you motivate middle-aged Christians? Now you've already answered that question by saying trying to help people by asking them, what dream do you have for God? Not trying to fulfill the leader's dream for the church, or, but really asking individuals, hey, what can I do to help you to, to serve God? Anything else you'd say to people that are wondering, okay, how do I get this, this body of middle-aged believers moving forward? Given the fact that I'm one, <laughs> I think, I, I think an, being an example that I am happy about serving, that I am in there. When we have a play day, that I'm now just sitting there on the sidelines, that I am energetic, that I am faithful and hopeful about the future, that I am, that the, to me, so, so the idea is not only telling you what you need to do, but walking with you, that this is how I wrestle with this. And not because I do this, that doesn't mean you need to do it, but because I do it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. It is possible. And, and, um, and honestly, you know, when I was in San Antonio, a, a crew of us um, used to quote Ron Burgundy. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a pretty big deal. <laughs> I used to be a pretty big deal. But the truth is, being out in the ministry for a while and, and, and I go back and, 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 I, and I, I see people now and I say, oh, 
you're Michael's dad. <laughs> when did that happen? How did I become my, Michael used to be Tony's son. I mean, no. <laughs> oh, uh, anyways, I, I said it all to say it's, 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 it's a, um, an accepting that, you know, there, there are some limitations, but I can say this, I, Rob, I a hundred percent believe this. Our best days are ahead of us. I agree. I really, really do. So do and I. all the experience and wisdom gained, um, man, how can I not be a, look forward with much anticipation yeah. um, with, with, with what God has done uh, in our lives? And, uh, you know, uh, let, let's, let's, let's have that mindset. But I think without a doubt, being with your wife, who is incredibly supportive and having that be a strong, strong foundation in your life, I think is one of the more tangible things that has really, really helped uh, in, in what we're doing. We really feel we're doing this together. That's and great. So setting an example and, you know, one thing I see in you, Tony, and you, Melanie, is you're both very faithful and you're very optimistic, which is great. Now, now, Tony, how old are you right now, may I ask? I am 35. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, just, I'm dyslexic. dyslexic. I'm 53. <laughs> okay, so you're 53. Okay, I'm, great. I'm soon. In a couple weeks, I'll be 53. Okay, great. You guys are just yeah. in your prime. Okay. Melanie, <laughs> yeah. what advice would you give to motivating, helping middle-aged Christians? I think you really have to, like for me, you let, really let me, have let me to ask, find let me ask what is God saying to you. Uh-huh. Let me just ask that of Melanie first. Okay. Um, wow. It, when I saw it, the, when I first saw the question, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think for me, like one of the things I have been saying to every woman that I've gotten with is, it doesn't matter the situation you're in. You know, you could be at the top of your game right now, or you could be fighting the most difficult battle of your life, but have you found God? Because he's there and he's working, but you've shifted from him. And no matter what you're doing, what the fight for you is to find God. And so I, I'll ask every woman, young or old, but particularly the older Christians, because they've been through so much. Um, I can't help you if you don't find God. So my job is to lead you toward that. And, and I think it's been so profound because it puts it back on that individual Christian to fight for their faith, right? To fight for what God is doing in their life. I, I can't predict how this is going to end for you, but I can tell you if you find God, it's going to be okay. And I can't even tell you it's going to be awesome. I don't know what that picture will look like, mm-hmm. but with you and God, it's going to be okay. That's and great. you're going to grow and you're going to see things and appreciate things you didn't before. And so it's, it's, it's what I do now. It's how I live now. Um, it's, it's one of those hallmarks that I think I learned from my journey coming out of the ministry and coming back into the ministry. And it's honestly one of those things I don't want to lose because I think you can get the bigger and the busier things get, you can get lost in the busyness um, and the productivity of the ministry. And 
productivity can never lead us away from God. And it sounds, it sounds hyper-spiritual, hyper-spiritual, hyper but it's actually true. We, we can become very habitual Christians, mm -hmm. you know, going through the motions of Christianity and, um, God is always there and always working and, um, whether it's a high, high or low, low. That's great. Okay. So let me, one of the, one of the things I find interesting is I know Canada is a challenging mission field. I, I know that from what I've heard from many other people, I've never actually been there, but I know it's challenging. It's, it's certainly, um, a post-Christian, um, you guys have been in America, led American churches, then, but you've been, now you're back in Canada. People are listening in, in fields in Europe and places where Christianity has, has, is no longer the cultural uh, touchstone that it once was. What unique challenges are you facing in Canada, in that mission field that, that people need to know about? I think it's hard sometimes for people who are who grew up in a certain place, like in the U.S., um, and see Christianity that there there are different levels of Christianity. That, like this is real Christian. If you have these four things that you believe, this is the demarcation of how I vote, who I think is a Christian, where I live, and all these kinds of things. When you're in Canada, you realize these people are, it's post-Christian, like you mentioned, you've got to bring Christ in different ways where you make Christ come alive mm. in serving the poor, yeah. in parenting, in being part of the community, and, 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 and being, you know, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And, you know, uh, um, I talked about this recently. Sometimes when you add salt to something, no one ever says, wow, that steak tastes so much better because salt is in it. It just, it adds to the flavor without actually sometimes realizing the benefit that it brings to it. Right. And, and, and I think it's the same thing with, with, we've got to learn to be salt in our communities mm. in a way that people ask you some questions that that like in Canada in your face going out and sharing your faith out it's not cool <laughs> not only is it not cool it's rendered ineffective are people going to become sure they are but I'm talking as a whole mm -hmm. right we've got to have Christ be part of what we do the way we speak the way we are as at a at a cashier with a cashier with a server with someone on the on the team and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, you know, it is not gonna be uncommon afterwards you've developed a relationship and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I noticed, man, you were having as much fun, but you weren't using the language everybody was using. Mm. Well, let, let me tell you why I choose to live this life, mm. right? Why I choose to say these kinds of things and you've got to get creative. So it can't, to me, uh, it can't be fake. It's not, it's not something that you just, it's a program I'm a part of, or it's something that I am, I am putting on. It's who I am, mm -hmm. and 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 so, and so this idea of uh, it's it's this it's this 
subtle salt that we add to the to the to the curry uh, or, or to the burger, <laughs> and and no one may, may realize what it was, but it's ultimately that idea of being that kind of a servant is really 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 important. That's great, Melanie. Any, anything you want to add there? Yeah, no, I think, you know, it's interesting. One of the practical ways this shows itself is in our first year here, we didn't preach once about money or about evangelism, not a sermon, not a conversation. Um, the idea was, guys, let's be the walking testimony. Like, let's just be Christians. Um, and that's not to say preaching and evangelism is wrong, obviously, because Jesus did it. But um, it was letting people see that if we love God and, and love our neighbors, there are people out there. God has people out there, but we've got to become those people. Like Tony was saying, um, we've got to become that family, that refuge for people. Um, and love speaks here in Canada louder than if you preach apologetics. There are some people that are drawn to apologetics, but love here is very profound. Canada is a very benevolent country, right? They're very, whether it's environmental or very, whether it's rights related, they're very um, benevolent. And so we as a church, we offer, you know, in, in one sense, the greatest gift of benevolence, which is, which is Christ. And so if we can't demonstrate that as a church, we're not going to impact people right. who who already have hearts to give. Um, so okay, that's great. Now, one of the one of the things that I, I I know that the churches in in Canada have had a history of. There's been tension, and I don't. I've never been there. It's only a second and third hand. Can you explain how things have been and how things are going in terms of? The family of churches in Canada, part of our our family of churches, the ICOC, um, and in any progress that you've seen, how are things going in terms of the unity in the churches? Yeah, you know, th there's little doubt that we are connected at the hips. The Toronto Church planted all the churches that are out there. No, so far we have not had a second generation. Uh, a church. We're pl planning on planting a church in Gatineau, which is right across the river from Ottawa, because there's that's French-speaking um, uh, uh, population. Uh, it's it's actually the pro a French province called Quebec. Um, what honestly the the decentralization of our fellowship really took a toll on our Canadian work. Canada, here's one of the challenges. Canada is bigger than the United States geographically. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to imagine. It's right? hard to imagine, and, right? Yeah. And so we have churches spread all across the nation and, uh, you know, four and a half time zones. And, um, and, and so, I mean, from end to end. So distance is a challenge. The closest church, Canadian church to Halifax, for example, is 12 hours drive. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just to imagine that. So that's certainly has been a challenge. I think there, um, the idea of where God has placed some dreams on some people's heart is not the same 
we've not been able to collaborate all the situations together. And there are some congregations that feel this is what God has placed on our heart that is not in sync with what the other group are trying to do. And so now we're, we're trying to find our identity. Um, like the smaller churches are gathering together and are having great unity. The larger church is, is trying to find their own identity. What they believe God has done is speaking to them and how they're going about um, uh, serving God in the community that they're in. So interestingly, all the churches beside the big church in Canada, which happens to be Toronto at this time, are all around either below 100 or just above 100. The Toronto church uh, is about 1,000 disciples. Okay. And so there's a big gap and a big difference there. Right. And, um, and so, so the Toronto church is really trying to figure out what they're doing. And um, it seems like they're really having some great success in putting forward what they're trying to do. But, but it's been a challenge for sure, because we're, we're not on the same page in going forward. Um, not that there's animosity, but there's not complete uh, uh, unity in regard to that. Got it. Um, and so that's what we're working on. Okay, great. Well, I'm sure that having you there is going to make a huge difference, especially with your history there. Now, Amen. one of the things that stands out to me about you guys is, again, like I said, there's a youthful faithfulness and optimism, um, a lot of energy and and power there that I go, okay, I can see why your church is is doing well just simply by looking and talking to you. But there are many people in churches, they've been there for a while, who are leading or ministries. And to be honest, they're just beaten down. You know, they're, they're trying to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, to use an expression, meaning, you know, they just, they want to help their church to grow. But then they t hear this and they go, oh my gosh, you know, if I felt the way that you two feel, I'd, I'd probably have different results. Any advice, especially during COVID, on how a leader could grow in their faith, in their optimism, in their joy, in a time that's it's really challenging for everybody? No, excellent. I think one of the practical ways is not have that burden be on yourself. One of the things that Melanie and I did, we had a lot of people come through the, the Ottawa church. The Ottawa church felt very isolated we had people come in and speak, even people who were not in the ministry that just coming by. And, and when someone would show up at church and then, dude, <laughs> you didn't call me? Like, you were going to be here? Next time you need to tell me, okay? Because I want you to share. So we would have people come and share a communion, give a testimony, sometimes even preach. The people in the Ottawa congregation realized, wait a minute, we're not isolated. We're not by ourselves. And the energy is, is shared. And they, and they experience it. So that's incredibly important. To me, one of the things that, that if we brought anything to the Ottawa church, it's we had a plethora of relationships okay. that we brought into the Ottawa church so that they realized, wait a minute, there are other people who think and believe and worship the same way we do. And you can tell them that, hmm. but when they sense and yeah. feel that, that is also a very, very, very important dynamic. Um, and, you know, I, I think another thing, too, is, is I now spend 15 to 20 hours a week preparing my sermons, if not more. Wow, that's a long time. 
Because uh, when I sat, Rob, in the seats and I said, I could finish that sermon for you because I know what you're going to say. I know what I, I know what points. Uh, if, you, if you get tired, if your voice is lost, uh, I can come up and finish it for you without notes. Okay, I and don't want I you to listen to my critique, sermons. But, okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I say that not as a critique, but it, it's it's sitting there and understanding what do people need, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and spending the time and depth of 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 sharing. Um, and I do a lot more series now because I'm not in a hurry to have some arbitrary date for things to be done. Yeah. And, and um, so, so that's, that's really, really crucial to me in helping people to, to get this energy, having people involved in your life, bringing people in. And one last thing that we did during this COVID mm. that was remarkably important, no one knew how long this thing was going to take. And well or not, it led directly to something, I don't know, okay? But I can just share with you what we thought in our thought process. We said like Moses led the people out of, uh, out of Egypt. So too, I will be with you in the, in the terms of a presence. So every day during the summer, Melly and I got up and we had a devotional with the congregation. Wow. And, 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 uh, and- Just a pe- half an hour, con- just, just a half, half an hour. hour. And sure. so uh, what we wanted to communicate, you know what? We are with you on this. Yeah. We are with you. We we are going to be visible, and and I, I don't mean to. I, I, you know, it's amazing. Our contribution has gone up financially during the COVID. <laughs> it's and 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 uh, it's 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 a crazy thing. I, I I think when people see that we're all in this together. Let's bring in other people. Let's figure out how this can happen. And, and it's like, okay, share the burden. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, you, you never stop having these yeah. relationships outside and sharing what you're go- what's going on. And, um, you know, That's the, ener- the energy that you bring as well is, is very important. Melanie, yeah, like I think to... relationships are key, right? Because I think if you as an individual are not being refreshed, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one of the other things I coming okay. back into let, the ministry. Let, let me just very... talk, let me just stop you yeah. real quick. I think that's a big issue. I, I know from talking with my wife and with other women ministry leaders, the isolation, not feeling connected to other women. Um, I don't mean to offend by making generalizations, but I think typically women feel it more acutely, the lack of, you know, friendships. Um, Do you want to speak on that at all? How, how that's what you've done? hundred (laughs) percent, hundred percent. I think women, you, you, you said it well, women feel it acutely. And um, I think that's where when you're by yourself in a small situation, you have to make the effort. And it's funny for me, I, I need my relationships with other women, but I'm also an introvert. And so my natural tendency is not to reach out right? Even though I need it and even though I love it. And so that concerted effort to stay connected to the people, firstly, that I have history with, that's huge, 
um, because I'm I'm making all kinds of new connections in my relationships with people here, but I actually need during this interim time people that I have history with who I know and I trust. And so making the time for that, making the time for my relationship with Beth Pokta, for example, is hugely important to me. The other thing that I like to do is I like to laugh. It sounds silly. At me? But I need to, well, I laugh at him every day. He keeps me laughing every day. But, um, but I enjoy just laughing. And so I have found, God has helped me to find three sisters that whenever it's been really crazy or busy, we touch base here in Ottawa and we say, we need a laugh session. And so when can you do it? Mm. Even during COVID, mm. we will we will have our Zoom laugh sessions and they usually have something to do with Hallmark movies. <laughs> <laughs> we have two women that watch Hallmark movies and one who mocks us. But, but just, I look, they're silly and they, they, they have no substance right. except that they meet a need in our lives and and. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, Women need it. great takeaway. Great, great takeaway. Well, I sure, sure appreciate you guys and your time. Let me just close the conversation with one final question. Any thoughts for those who go, man, I'd really like to make a difference with my life. I want to make this life count. Any advice that you would give to a younger person who's thinking, hey, what can I do? What, what's my next step? You know, that's, that's a loaded question. Um, living our life, you know, Ecclesiastes mentions this and, and uh, with the end in mind and, and with intentionality mm. and, and, and saying, ask myself, what do I want from this life? Um, and, and what am I doing today? Not that every single second needs to amount to to, to, that's too much pressure, but the general trajectory, mm. is it heading in that direction for that goal that I have mm. in my life? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to go south, you have at least have to be turning in a southerly direction. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so you know, uh, but, but sometimes we want to, yeah, I want to get over there, but this is what I, okay. H how are you going to get there? Right. Um, you know, I, I've, to me, I, I find a movie or a sermon invigorating when it makes me think mm. it may, it challenges my thinking. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and so that's what I, I want for people to figure out. What are you thinking? Where would you like to be five years from now, seven years from now, 10 years from now? Mm. And at least are you heading in that direction? Right. That, that, that's. To me, that's one of the things that that because for Melly and I, we we this is our life. We're lifers, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, this right. this uh, uh, warts and all. I love my church family. Right. We're not perfect. I love my physical family, my mom and dad, and my six brothers and sisters. I would want not to trade them for anyone. They're not perfect, but I, I that's the family I'm a part of, and I will always be a part of. This is my church family. Yeah. I'm a lifer. I'm I, I, I'm here. Let's figure out what, what we want to be. And we said, what we don't want to be is a wallflower, a pew sitter. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what are we going to do with our lives? We had a plan. Five to seven years, we'll go make some money. Mm -hmm. 
and build bigger barns. No, <laughs> we'll, we'll go make some money. And wait, wait, wait. Um, we'll go uh, make some money, and, and then we're gonna go be able to do this. And and you know, then we have to do something along those lines. For us, relationships were very, very important. We picked ourselves up from Boston and moved to San Antonio, particularly for that reason. Am I heading in that direction? And so that's what I, I at least would say. What, what no, you... I, I think that's 100% agree. And I think the second part to that is who are you taking with you? Because you need partnership on that journey, right? On that faith journey, because partnership offers that companionship, but it also offers perspective. Because I think that's one thing we see with our kids, you know, millennials, they're all about their personal dreams and their personal goals and what they want to do. But who are you partnering with to do that? You know, the Christianity, we, for whatever reason, God wants to partner with us <laughs> to win the world. He doesn't need us. Um, I think we should learn that we learn something from God in that, in that who are we partnering with? Who are we going with on the journey? Um, because we're going to need that companionship and we'll definitely need the perspective. And so. That's fantastic. You know, and I close with this thought, Robbie, um, you know, it's uh, uh, last week was a very roller coaster week for me mm-hmm. on Tuesday. I got a call that one of my buddies for 30 years passed away oh, boy. about the same age as I am. Um, a call from another friend whose child was living a double life someone whose life was in the, was thinking about quitting the ministry. And then my son calls me and says that I will, I'm starting a podcast and I want to do certain things. And the first person I want to interview is you. Mm. Wow. That was a euphoric moment yeah. when your child, your 24 year old child says, I want to interview as the first person. Right. And what's my point when Melanie and I were, were, living our lives and we were saying what do we want our children to grow up mm-hmm. what kind of example we want to set how are we going to live our life intentionally and what do we picture 5 10 15 20 years down the road we started as mistakes filled as some of the things that we did were we had a dream mm-hmm. we had a vision and we were at least most of the time facing in the right direction and, and, and to me, we've got to ask ourselves, what would I say to my, to my, to my 27-year-old self or 25-year-old self? I'll say, you generally were facing in the right direction. Let's get a little bit more focused and more timely on some of that, okay? And I know you thought you were really smart, but you really weren't really that smart. And I know 10 years from now, I'm going to say the same thing, but I am now, right? Uh, but, but facing in that direction, you know, it's a much better chance um, to, to end up in the right place. As they say, repentance is not a destination. It's a direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and as long as we head in that direction, I think God, with God leading us, we'll be fine. Wow. What a great time together. Thank you so much. I, it, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you up close and find out more about your lives. And uh, it, it's, it's inspiring. You've got so much wisdom. There's a real God focus that comes through. There's a joy that radiates. Um, it's, it's great to see people who are in their mid-50s, as, as I am, um, really eager. And I, I, I share your sentiment. I feel like 
our best years are ahead of us, you know, because we've, we've got everything we've learned both good and bad through the, through the hard knocks and, and the victories and we can apply it and see the kingdom advance. And so I want to wish you all the best there in Ottawa. I, I think it's a, thank you. Rob, we feel honored that you would even ask us. And yes. I hope we said one thing that was at least helpful and um, thank you. We feel honored and privileged and we know of the work that you guys are doing. We, yes. we appreciate it. We're inspired. Let us uh, change the world together. That's right. That's Amen. right. And I want to say thank you for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. It's great to be, be with you every week. And thank you so much for your encouragement and, and support and listening and telling your friends. And if, if you are enjoying the podcast, I'd like to ask you to please subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and let your friends and family know about it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.